Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krause. Let's dive in. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles. Very excited for this week's episode. A buddy of mine is on the show with us, uh, Nick McAfee. He is awesome. He is actually out in Dallas right now, so a lot closer than uh, Luke was out in California. Uh, Known Nick for a long time. Uh, We actually met uh, back in school, uh, and he was studying with me uh, back at John Paul the Great Catholic University. So, Nick, pleasure to have you on the show, man. I'm excited. Hey, Chase, thanks for having me. I am also very excited uh, about this podcast and being on. Yeah, it's 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 been an adventure, man, but it's been a lot of fun um, and just, just getting to nerd out over Catholic Scripture stuff uh, on a weekly basis. It's good times. But, uh, Nick, Is there anything but, actually better than that? Th- that's true. So fun fact for everybody listening, uh, Nick and I were a part of this like small group of dudes who would meet. I don't know if you remember this, Nick. We'd meet every week at like 6 a.m. at a coffee shop um, in Escondido, during our masters and we would just talk shop over like scripture and theology and random fun facts like every week for a while. Do you remember that, Nick? That was the best. Escondido has some really, really great coffee places. I, I, uh, I pray the coronavirus is not keeping them down too long. Oh man. Uh, no, those are good times, man. Yeah. it's fun stuff. So, uh, before we go any further, uh, Nick, why don't you just uh, tell us a little about yourself, uh, your background, what you're doing now, uh, what you want to do with that in the future and all that good stuff. Sure. So, uh, yeah, no, as, as you mentioned, I, uh, emigrated from the, the great state of California to, uh, to Dallas, um, what a year and a half ago now, uh, to start a PhD in political philosophy at the university of Dallas. My, uh, my wife, uh, and I are, uh, loving it in Dallas when it's not, uh, not super hot and locked down. Uh, my, my, my interest, uh, in politics, that was been an interesting road to get there at, uh, John Paul the Great, uh, where we went, started as a screenwriting student, found out that I liked my, uh, like my theology and philosophy papers more than my scripts. So had one of those, uh, one of those midlife crisis moments in college. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, was guided out of that by uh, one of our great mentors, Dr. John Kincaid. Yeah. Uh, and um, he corrupted me into the <laughs> theology program. Uh, got to do that with Chase, MA in Biblical Theology. Great program, great gift. Was really interested in, my interest was sparked at JP Catholic, though, in the uh, intersection of scriptural interpretation and political projects, especially uh, some of the early modern political philosophers like um, Hobbes and Spinoza. And uh, yeah, my eyes are kind of open to the, the massive political implications that uh, a lot of different, uh, different forms of exegesis had. So um, that's kind of the, the very, very small uh, transition point for me to try to explain to people how I went from screenwriting to theology to politics, and it all somehow makes sense. But you know, I mean, Abraham didn't know where he was going, right? So <laughs> that's awesome. That's man. my consolation, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, that's great. So uh, the I'm and so just to, to be transparent with everybody listening, uh, I don't have nearly as much background in, in political philosophy uh, as Nick does. I took one political philosophy class in my undergrad, and then in our masters, we took a, a class um, uh, philosophy and biblical interpretation. And within that class, uh, we studied a book called "Politicizing the Bible." 
um, by Scott Hahn and Benjamin Weicker, uh, which is a brilliant book. If you're interested in, in politics and in the Bible, that's, that's a great starting point. Um, and so I was really, really excited to have uh, Nick on the show with us because he's going to talk to us about uh, politics in the Bible. It's something uh, I don't think a lot of Christians or Catholics really consider uh, when they, they're thinking about scripture, but uh, it's something that's it's really fascinating. It's a huge topic within scripture itself. Uh, before we get into that, as always, we're going to start with our Greek word. And uh, before the episode officially started recording, I asked Nick what word he wanted to use. And so uh, the word uh, that he said, we should do this because I find it interesting. And he's going to tell us why he finds it interesting in a second here. But anyway, the, uh, the word is uh, parakletos, uh, which means helper, intercessor, advocate, advocate. Um, and so this is uh, also linked uh, to a paraclete, right? Which, you know, is a word for the Holy Spirit. So Nick, you said some insightful stuff before we started recording, but I totally don't remember it and couldn't say it. So why don't you fill us in? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're going to pick a Greek word, uh, one that is typically associated with a name for God, uh, probably a good good place to start. No, I I find it fascinating that that one word um, and what I loosely know to be uh, kind of related to the the noun, uh, parakaleo, the, the Greek verb, um, is that they, it really captures a very wide range of meaning in English, just from what you read there, helper, advocate, counselor, comforter, even, uh, at least when I think of like, you know, legal advocates, uh, I don't tend to think of like, ah, yes, lawyers, they give me so much comfort, uh, <laughs> when they, you know, remove my speeding ticket. I don't know. But, uh, I, I think it's fascinating that, um, you have a nexus of that language in the uh, beginning of the gospel of Luke with Simeon meeting the Holy family in the temple. Um, you have the multiple refrain about how he is filled with the Holy spirit. He walks into the temple in the Holy spirit. Uh, and, um, he's a man seeking the, the consolation mm. of Israel, which I believe is, is pericolasis there. Don't, don't quote me on that. I believe you, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, so, uh, pretty cool that the Holy spirit is all those things more uh, yeah. to us and um and it's a whole kind of wholesale comprehensive restoration of israel uh, yeah. and individuals that uh, I, I think in mind i think looking at the greek it always helps me because i think the holy spirit is of all three persons of the trinity the holy spirit tends to be the most like abstract in us for a lot of people um, and it tends mm-hmm. to be sure. uh, he he tends to be just kind of more uh, more difficult to kind of pin down, which I mean, we can't pin down any of them. We can't pin down God. Uh, and that's, and that's actually one of the, one of the things actually, I think the, our Eastern, uh, right. Catholics, um, they do really, really well is, is really treating the Holy spirit for who he is, namely, you know, co-eternal co-equal with the father and the son. And I think a lot of Catholics, the, the, the language, we kind of lose that in the language of like, we think there's a pecking order in the Trinity, you know, father, son, and then Holy Spirit's like on, on the bottom of the pecking order when that's just simply not the case. Um, so learning more about, you know, these kind of like subtleties of like the Holy Spirit, I think it's really helpful. Um, so yeah, parakletos, everybody, it's your Greek word of the day. Uh, so today's episode, like I said, like I mentioned, uh, we're gonna talk about uh, politics in the Bible. Um, and so Nick's setting up at UD um, and he's doing a paper on Hobbes right now, which is fun. Uh, if you guys don't know anything about Hobbes, uh, He's, he's really smart dude, but you know, kind of out there. Uh, so anyway, uh, Nick, I'm, you know, handing the football off to you and, uh, just love to hear your thoughts on, on polit- uh, politics in the Bible. Sure. Yeah, no, uh, a little bit out there is that that's a great, great pithy summary <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, Thomas Hobbes. No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like where to start is always like one of those really difficult questions with a topic so broad. Um, but thankfully Catholicism, I think comes with a lot of cheat codes. 
Um, and one of those cheat codes uh, that I think Dr. Barber clued us in on is the uh, the lectionary. Um, so obviously, if you're going to treat something that spans the whole Bible and has had a lot of people debate uh, and fight about it, <laughs> namely, what uh, what implications does our faith have for our relationship with with political order, with uh, political life, life in society? Um, a, uh, a good place to start is uh, how does Christ serve as a reference point, uh, a source of illumination for, for those questions? So I thought it was a decent place to try to start with at least this year's uh, readings uh, in the lectionary cycle for the Feast of Christ the King. Mm. Christ is uh, our King, among many other things. And, um, and yeah, I was, I was trying to look over those uh, from this year and see if there's anything that, that stood out to me. So you got a uh, you got a reading from First Samuel. Uh, you got a reading uh, Saint Paul from the uh, Colossians, and then of course the the gospel we heard this year is um, it is, comes from Luke twenty three from the crucifixion sequence. And Christ's kingship is decidedly not one of this this world. Um, it doesn't look at all like the trappings of monarchies of his day, or really any other day that I'm aware of. Um, Christ's kingship is perfected in the humility of the cross. Uh, and one of the most, I think, profound uh, sequences in the crucifixion narratives that, that Luke captures here is the conversion, the, um, the saving, really, of St. Dismas mm. uh, on the cross, uh, one of the criminals hanging next to Jesus, um, who, uh, well, puts the other, other criminal in his place. Have you no fear of God for your subjects? The same condemnation. And indeed, we have been condemned justly for the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes, but this man has done nothing criminal. When he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he replied to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I think that really points us to uh, the primacy of that paradisal kingdom. And it's hard to read those words and not you know, long for the <laughs> Lord, please say that to me too. I'm yeah, like, right. that's it. It's my <laughs> final hour. Like that's, that's what I, that's, that's all I want. Um, and, uh, and so that, that I think this passage really stokes the, the desire in the human heart for eternal union with God. Um, and that unity happens to also be a kingdom. It happens to be uh, ordered towards worship of God. We see that clearly in the book of revelation among other places, but, um, but I thought it would be helpful to reflect on the way in which Christ's kingship and the demands that it places on his subjects, that is us, um, one of the, the ways to, to appreciate its richness is the, I think the theme of persecution. Our king was persecuted by worldly authorities to the point of a shameful, humiliating, utterly painful death. And we shouldn't expect any less. Uh, Shakespeare's uh, Henry VIII has this great line in Henry VIII's mouth where, uh, where he basically says to, uh, to this bishop that he's trying to, um, to bully into submission. He's like, he's like, look, buddy, the world's a dark, terrible place, and look what they did to, to your guy. Uh, don't expect any better. And there's a truth <laughs> to that. Uh, we shouldn't <laughs> expect any better right. uh, in a certain respect. Well, and so, even St. Um, Paul, right, in Romans Romans 8, he says, you know, the Holy Spirit fills us, and we cry out, Abba, Father, and we will be made, uh, 
because we're children, we'll be co-heirs and, you know, all these things. But he says, provided that you suffer with him. Right. It's like there's this huge, like, I think people just stop reading for some reason and then just think, oh, we're heirs and we're children. It's like, no, I keep reading, like finish the verse. It's provided (laughs) that you suffer. And this is, I was uh, just actually reading this, this passage with uh, some of the young adults from my young adult group. Um, And I was saying Mm -hmm. like, this is, this, this paragraph here destroys the prosperity gospel. Like there's, I mean, basically the entire Bible destroys the prosperity gospel if you read it, right? <laughs> um, but sure. the, the particularly like it's, it, there's no if, and, and buts about it. Yeah. You are sons and daughters of the living God through Jesus Christ mm-hmm. provided that like you suffer with him. Like there is no way around the cross. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, and it's so remarkable that amidst that suffering and the sin that is the source of that suffering, the sin that's so great, um, and especially the sin of our rulers, I think it obviously uh, affects so many people. Uh, it's so publicly visible and scandalous. Um, no sin is beyond the extent of that rule insofar as we will all be judged. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI has this great line about um, the final judgment is the great source of the, the political principle of equality in a real way. Oh <laughs> and no matter who you are, or what position of authority you have, we're all being judged on the same, the same scales by, yeah. by the same guy. Wow. Um, but the other, the other part of that is there's no sin that can't also be forgiven. And I mm-hmm. think St. Dismas, uh, that sequence shows the scandal of divine mercy mm-hmm. um, that has political implications to this day. Uh, you've had saints uh, martyred for being unwilling to break the seal of confession, for instance, when, mm-hmm. uh, when, um, you know, their repentance that had confessed to them, uh, you know, may have was, was a political importance. Um, and I think even to this day, even in my home state of California in the last, last couple of years, there's been a lot of public debate about, um, whether or not under, you know, us and, and California law, the, um, the sacrament of confessions, uh, inviolability, um, whether or not the seal will be respected by public authorities. Mm-hmm. And there's obvious reasons why, uh, that would be a question. Uh, it's right. natural enough that the question would be raised, but I think the church's constant and consistent answer has been, look, uh, Christ is always opening the door of mercy to even the worst sinners, even the sinners that actually merited crucifixion. Right. And um, the church puts nothing between Christ and those sinners. I think that's a, a beautiful and powerful encapsulation of Christ's kingship in action. Yeah. I think a lot of people tend to forget too that, uh, cause it's so, I remember hearing a Eastern right priest actually talk about why it's so easy to cuss out people in other cars while you're driving. It's cause you, you dehumanize them, right? You, you don't, you're not actually looking at them face to face. You're not looking them at the, in the eye. You're just looking at this metal box. So you can, you know, cuss out people while you're driving and yell at people and that temptation so easy. And I think it's almost analogous with the way we treat politicians because we only ever see them on TV right, or on our phones. So it's so easy to vilify them, to, you know, to cuss them out, to be angry at them and call them stupid, all these things, because you, you, you're, you're, they're not a, they're not a real person to you anymore. They're a politician They're You know, I think, it reminds me of actually when you were saying all that, um, one of the legends around St. Sebastian, it, you know, obviously he's a soldier of Rome during uh, Diocletian. Anyway, uh, one of one of the emperors that were persecuting Christians um, early on, and he was uh, in his like personal bodyguard, but when he found out he was a Christian, he had him, um, he had him, or they tried to, they tried to kill him 
right? And then they try to shoot him with arrows, and he actually uh, survived miraculously. Uh, and the Grand Inquisitor was one of the legends. Uh, but then after he survived, he actually found his way back to Rome and tried to evangelize the the, the Caesar, tried to evangelize the guy who had him killed, um, only then to have the same emperor order his guards that were with him to beat him to death and throw him in a, in a gutter. Um, so like, um, but it's kind of yeah. one of those stories. Like, you know, it's like these politicians, they're people too. Like we should be praying for them. We should be reaching out to them because no one, yeah, like you said, no one is beyond the mercy of God. Even, even members of Congress. Right. Like yeah. it or not. <laughs> even, even those dudes in Congress. <laughs> oh man. No, that's sure. great. So, I mean, yeah, I think starting with Christ in the, in the lectionary, that's, I mean, yeah. Christ the King. I mean, that is a political reality that Christians and Catholics, uh, maybe they're not comfortable with it. I think at least Americans, we've never had a king. So we don't, we just don't really know what that feels like, you, you know, besides like, besides, you know, intellectually just saying like, yeah, Christ is our King. Like it's kind of like almost like a nice sure. thought, but like we almost don't know how that actually looks like in a tangible way or in a practical way. Uh, but, but Christ's kingship wasn't something that just was invented in the new Testament. Obviously he was a, he was a Davidite, right? I mean, he was a descendant of David and that's, that has politics written all over it. For sure. Yeah, no. Um, I, I totally agree with you that, uh, Kingship is uh, a word that's charged with negative connotations in our, our democratic, um, Republican-style government uh, for understandable reasons, right? Uh, we, we definitely have a, a preamble of, uh, of injustices that we, we historically felt uh, have been wreaked on us by a king who was, you know, an ocean away and didn't, didn't understand what, what we were about. Um, at the same time, I think that... Uh, you know, a lot of the American founders had no problem uh, proclaiming sometimes very loudly uh, the kingship of Christ is not just a, a nice, fancy title, um, but something that actually had direct implications not only for our personal lives, but for our public lives. Uh, we, we tend to easily um, and instinctively separate uh, the two in a way that I, I don't think always was, uh, was certainly wasn't as prevalent. Um, 250 years ago, uh, I think especially of um, one of the, the founding fathers, John Witherspoon, uh, who was president of what was then uh, Princeton, I think it was before it was called Princeton. He was a professor to James Madison among some of the other founders. And he has this great sermon from, uh, from the eve of the Declaration of Independence from May, I think it is, of uh, 1776. And he goes at length both rallying Americans to the cause of independence. He has a lot of, of sound reasoning behind why uh, the struggle against England was just uh, and that England's claims to rule were really tenuous. Uh, but he, he over and over and over again uh, is emphasizing the priority and the primacy of the souls of the people that he's rallying over and above, uh, say, their property or um the taxes that they're paying on tea. Uh, he has a, a huge problem with profanity in the American military. Mm. It's kind of like <laughs> you, you read that and it's like, really buddy? Are, yeah, have you, a, uh, have you been around many soldiers? Do you expect right. anything different? Yeah. It's, it's um, not something you usually hear politicians uh, ranting about. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Um, <laughs> but his point is, look, uh, religion and, and the faith and Christianity makes claims uh, on 
not only your own conduct within you know the four walls of your home, but but you have to love your neighbor. And he, he quotes Leviticus uh, saying, look, that means uh, correcting your neighbor uh, when he's going wrong. That means extending your love to the point of you know being willing to suffer his uh, his frustration or his annoyance or, or even a loss of friendship uh, for another person's good in in trying to prudentially set them straight. Uh, so the idea that I think a lot of people have that, you know, the American founding was predicated on a really radical individualism that had no room for uh, religion as anything other than a means to make people peaceful and agreeable and nice uh, is really overly simplistic. And mm-hmm. I think uh, the witness of a lot of uh, pastors like John Witherspoon, uh, who admittedly has some 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 things he says about uh, Catholicism and Popish fraud that you know I'm personally less on board with. He, he right. has a lot of insight into um, into the the clear demands I, I would say of Christ's kingship um, that echo throughout tons and tons of of, of Protestant writing going back hundreds of years. Uh, so um, yeah, yeah. it sounds like the gospel is political, man. Yeah, I mean, it would too. Like, I mean, I'm I'm thinking of a way. Like, I think one of the things that we I think as Americans that we miss out on when we forget that the kingdom of God uh, and the kingship and the word king, I mean, that's all political language. And I think one of the things that we kind of lack, like lose out on spiritually is almost this, the, the reality of um, not necessarily blind obedience, right? Cause we're not called the blind obedience. We're called to, to pursue the truth. Um, but almost this re- reality of like uh, as a king, he is worthy of our obedience. He is uh, infinitely worthy of our trust that he is going to lead us to our ultimate good, like a good king should, like a good rulers and good politicians. I mean, that's theoretically what they're there for is to lead a nation to their ultimate good, you know, to their, to their final, to their final good. And, you know, in Christ, obviously our final good is in heaven. Uh, but that, that sense of obedience and of humble trust and, and humble obedience, um, that we kind of almost miss out on because we're, we're just so unfamiliar or uncomfortable with this kind of like political language around anything to do with faith. Right. I don't, I don't know if, if you, mm-hmm. if you, what your thoughts are on that, but I just made, made me think about that. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think setting, setting up healthy expectations for our rulers, uh, both, uh, God, uh, who, um, has promised us, uh, more than this world can give and, uh, who delivers on his promises. Um, that's the expectation we should have. We, the only fitting, uh, the only fitting designee of our expectation, uh, that, that will be fulfilled. The King that won't disappoint us, right. Even, even David, uh, as you, you mentioned, the, the pinnacle, so to speak, of, um, of Israelite kingship in Jewish memory has a devastating fall. Uh, one of his mighty men, his best friends, he betrays and uh, you know, functionally and directly murders, leads to his death. And so if we have our expectations in the, in the right place, I think Scripture offers us a lot of different places uh, to do so. One of the greatest little summaries uh, I encountered recently, uh, the book of Sirach ends with a recitation of some of the, the greatest heroes of Israel's history. 
And there's this great little summary in, uh, in Sirach uh, 49.4. Uh, when he gets to the end of the Kings, he says, except David and Hezekiah and Josiah, they all sinned greatly, mm. but they forsook the law of the most high. The Kings of Judah came to an end. Uh, and I think that's, that's great. You got three good Kings out of the yeah. whole lot yeah. and the rest are just rotten just uh, for the most awful. part. So that's, that's a, that's a great, you know, uh, Christianity blends both, you know, the, the reality of original sin and how awful people can be with the heights of grace the witness of the saints uh, that humans can truly be perfected uh, and show that perfection in this life. I think, I think we got, we got both sides of, of that coin. Uh, and I think scripture helps us set our expectations healthily in terms of, uh, of what we should expect from our rulers. And, and yeah, one of those things is forgiveness. I, I think I haven't really seen a lot of that suggested these days with the whole coronavirus, but sure. I at least imagine uh, I try to imagine the, what a lot of our elected officials are thinking, what they're grappling with. And sure, they have more information than us, but I find it hard to believe that anyone under these circumstances wouldn't make mistakes, right. wouldn't, uh, you know, accidentally, you know, hurt the economy too much or, or accidentally not do enough to save lives. And, and I think a, an attitude of forgiveness does actually follow from a healthy rec- recognition of the limitations that earthly rulers um have just like the rest of us yeah and i think you know even when you look at christ's interaction with pontius pilate uh, you know and i mean that the situation he was in jesus had every right namely the authority to basically like chew pontius pilate out and be free of him and you know get actually offended at what pontius pilate was like that conversation you know it's like don't you know i have the authority to kill you blah 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 and jesus is like you actually don't have any authority over me. Um, and, and, it, and we can learn from that too, because uh, there is this, this, this attitude of being, you know, offended, you know, amongst like in social media and like this, this, uh, this whole move within like Gen Z and millennials to anything a politician says, somebody's going to get offended or ticked off. Uh, but if Jesus sure. could have a, you know, a humble intellectual non-rude conversation with the man who was literally about to kill him. It's like, I think we could, we could try to emulate that at least. For sure. And, and I think, I think the example of St. Thomas More uh, immediately comes to mind as well as someone really trying to, to live in the footsteps of his king. Mm. And uh, even with uh, a smile on his face, uh, not because he took death uh, lightly, but I think precisely because he, he, he was free of worldly anxiety that I think is one of the causes of our, of our offended reactions of our, our lashing out in an escalatory way. It's like, Mm -hmm. you really believe that the things of this world are passing away. If you really believe um, that Christ is the way and the truth and the life, that he is our King and that he will deliver on his promises. It kind of, puts into perspective, yeah, that, that pettiness that we all, we all, and I'm, I'm certainly guilty. Please don't, don't even look on my Twitter account. <laughs> uh, we're all guilty of that. And, uh, and in some, some degree or another, I, I definitely find myself uh, in the, the worst category of people who uh, have reacted and jumped onto, onto political anxiety, out of political anxiety. And I think the peace of Christ uh, is one of the great gifts that he does give to to his subjects when we have uh, 
yeah, that heavenly, that heavenly perspective. I think Thomas More, um, if you look at Thomas More, uh, you either deem him as a total success or a total failure of a human being. I don't think there's a lot of middle, middle ground on that one. And, and I think the perspective of faith uh, has, has a pretty clear answer to that question. Yeah, that's great. Well, hey, uh, so before uh, we, we kind of wrap this all up, uh, are there any good books that you're either reading or you recommend uh, our, our listeners read when, if they want to learn more about maybe politics in the Bible or anything like that or any, any good books or uh, other podcasts or any other videos that maybe they can use as resources I can throw, up on, throw them up on the show notes? Sure. That's, that's a great question. Um, one of the, the small things that I encountered recently, again, I believe if I'm not mistaken, it's still free for download somewhere on uh, the St. Paul Center's website. But um, one of the really cool resources, I think, on on the Bible's insight, especially in the persecution, would be a great little essay that uh, John Bergsma wrote in the 2009 uh, volume five of the journal letter and spirit that Scott Hahn St. Paul center puts out, um, might be online. I'm not sure if it's, it's not there where you, where you'd find it, but you can definitely order the letter and spirit journal. He has this great little essay called cultic kingdoms and conflicts in the book of Daniel. Uh, that's probably my, um, I guess my, uh, my more uh, scholarly nerdier recommendation, <laughs> a lot of great stuff in terms of why, uh, the book of Daniel and the, the persecution that Daniel and his friends face. Um, great illustration of what it means to try to live the faith in the midst of political persecution of your religion. Um, and also, I guess on that, on that front, um, I'm just in love with, with Thomas More. I'm in a Thomas More class this semester. <laughs> uh, a theme here. <laughs> have to recommend it's, uh, it's so much. Um, so uh, Gerard Wegemer and Stephen Smith put out this year this giant tome called The Essential Works of Thomas More. It is worth its weight in gold. Uh, but even if you can't afford it, a lot of the, um, a lot of the uh, translations and critical editions that they've done are up on the Center for Thomas More Studies website for free. You can download those as PDFs. Um, I would highly recommend... Uh, it's kind of a weird, a weird one, but um, an interesting study of Christian politics goes on in his amazing history of Richard III, mm. which ends up being a lot of the inspiration for Shakespeare's play on Richard III, uh, as well as um, his uh, dialogue on comfort and tribulation is another fantastic resource. He's quoting Paul left and right. It's great stuff. Uh, kind of, I don't know, off the wall recommendations, but uh, yeah, that's great. No, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Well, hey, Nick, it's uh, been a pleasure to have you on the show. It's been a lot of fun. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, we'll have to have you back on again someday because this was a lot of fun. Chase, this is a blast. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much once again for joining us for Catholics with Bibles. I hope you enjoyed uh, that episode with Nick McPhee. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw all those books he recommended on our show notes. Totally not going to remember all the names, so I'm going to have him text it to me so I can remember all that good stuff. So once again, thank you for joining us. You all have a great week. God bless.